friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. We'll do a couple things at once. Uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. We'll get to the text here in just a second. I uh, want to continue our series on the last day of the last days. And I uh, want to talk about the rapture of the church this morning. And I just got to tell you, when, when, I, when I first started hearing about this thing called the rapture, and I was a baby Christian, brand new Christian, uh, everything, I took everything literally. Have you ever, do you remember back when you first came to Christ and you, you'd hear stuff the pastor would say, and he's really kind of joking, but you're too new to know what a joke is and what a Christian joke is. Come on. And, and so then, then, you know, I'm hearing some of this stuff and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is for real. So I heard the pastor preach about the rapture of the church and he went into this whole dissertation about having clean underwear. And the idea was <laughs> for those that are left behind, if you're going to be raptured and snatched from this earth, they're going to see what's left behind. And of course, that would be your clothes, your BVDs, okay? And so from that moment on, I always made sure, I mean, for a year or so, I made sure that my, my T-shirt, my, my BVDs, everything was kosher, man, because I thought, hey, here's the deal. I, don't, I want to be a good witness. Come on. I took it literally, man. I t- it was a really, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of crazy things about, you know, we've, we've kind of been taught some crazy things about the rapture. I, I just want to dispel another one here. And it's the idea that we'll see people flying up into the air. In fact, there's some old, uh, there's some old Christian movies that are really kind of B movies. You know, they're not like the best uh, if, special effects in the world. You can almost see the strings like that hold the people in the harnesses. Anybody here today? You don't watch movies. Okay. So anyway, they go flying up into the air and you could see they just, you know, they bounced off of, uh, of something and it wasn't all that and all for real. But, but here's the deal. The Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, in the Greek there, the twinkling of an eye is a billionth of a second. It's the word atmos. It, it, it means faster than light. So, so in other words, you, you have to understand for your brain to be able to take in light, and then process that light, get, get it all the way to the back of your head. There's somewhere in the back of your skull is your visual processing center. That takes a certain amount of time, but that's not faster than light. You understand? It takes time for that electrical impulse and all of that to get sorted out. So, so here's, here's a better way to look at it. People that love Jesus are just going to instantly disappear. There's no flying up. There's no leaving underwear behind. There's no, they're going to instantly be gone. And you say, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard a pastor talk about. It shouldn't be that weird to to you because it's replete throughout the Bible. Old Testament too. Old Testament talks about it as well. We're going to kind of land the plane today in what, what we'll see Jesus explaining it as. And it's a metaphor allegorically as a wedding celebration. And it's where we get the phrase, no man will know the day or the hour. But you have to take that in the context of being prepared for the bridegroom coming at any time. So that's where we'll land the plane. But first, I got to give you some foundation here on what this is all about when we talk about this, uh, what we call the 13th fundamental truth of the assemblies of God. This is one of our major doctrines. Did you know that? It's called the blessed hope. By the way, do you know our doctrines? 
You should. If you've been attending here for a while, you should know what our doctrines are. There's little pamphlets out here in the foyer. You can grab one. They're free. Absolutely free. No charge at all. Now, I might charge you again for this message, but I won't charge you for that. They're absolutely free. Just kidding you. But it is one of our core doctrines, and it means the blessed hope. What does it mean? We look forward to this because it is our hope. As the world gets darker and darker and darker, we have a hope that Jesus is coming for his bride. And I know you dudes don't care for that term bride so much. But understand this. The Bible over and over again says that we are the bride of Christ. Right? And he has adorned us. And the Bible says he's coming back for a spotless bride. That means that every part of your garments spiritually are already whitened and cared for and paid for by the bridegroom. That's coming for you. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, guys? You guys are all like checking out. The dudes are like, I don't want to be a bride at all. (laughs) It's spiritual, okay? It's spiritual. Where do we get this idea from Scripture? Because there is a, um, there's a copious corpus of verses in the Bible, all right? The Bible's replete. The body of God's work is replete with these terms. But where do we get this idea from Scripture? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, tells us this. It says, Behold, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? A shout. Now, I don't believe the whole world's going to hear this. Because it says a shout and a call of God. The whole world has not heard the call of God. He is calling, but they're not necessarily listening. Okay? You have heard that call. I hope you have. You've heard that call, yes? Good. (laughs) Good. Good. So so he's going to descend from heaven with a shout and the call of God, the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, right? Right? Then those who are alive will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air forever and ever. And it says, therefore, watch this, encourage one another with these words. I ought to be telling you and you ought to be telling me come Monday morning or Friday night, whenever the blues come on, right? Hey, get ready. Hey, get ready. Jesus is coming. Hey, get ready. We're getting out of here. Hello? You don't have to. Listen, you've got a hope. And I want to encourage you because Jesus is coming for you. He's coming for you. (laughs) So the whole story of redemption and restoration of creation can be found on Jesus's watch. Now, that's a metaphor. Don't leave here today and say, literally, Jesus wears a watch. But but I want to show you very quickly Jesus's watch. And I want to show you where we're at in God's prophetic timeline on his watch. You see, for Jews in the temple, they had what's called a menorah. Say menorah. Menorah. To them, it's a tree. And that goes back. I can preach a lot on that. It goes back to Genesis. But I want to talk a little bit about the menorah. The menorah has seven candlesticks. It would light up the holy place for your notes. The outer court would be lit by the sun. The holy place would be lit by the golden candlesticks or the menorah. The holies of holy would be lit by the presence, the Shekinah glory of God himself. Understand that. And God wants to move you from the outside, come on church, to the inside, all right? 
So in these golden candlesticks, it's a dress rehearsal to understand how God would redeem mankind and restore his creation. This story is told over and over again in the Old Testament, and I'm going to give it to you now. Each of these candlesticks represents something. The first one represents Passover. On Passover, Jesus became the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. So we know that we're in God's time clock. We're at least one candlestick ahead already because I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Amen? The next one, very interesting, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You see, not only did they get out of Egypt, and Egypt represents the sin in the world, but the Jews also had to move very quickly, so they had to cook bread without yeast. This is the burial of Jesus Christ, because they would put it inside of a little stone uh, made cave that they'd make their bread in, but they had to make it very, very quickly. All right? How long was Jesus in the grave? Not long at all. He rose very, very quickly. Come on, church. Right? Right? The next candlestick on this menorah kind of tells us that we're at least three forward. Come on. And this one was the Feast of Weeks, okay? Or the uh, Feast of First Fruits. When the first parts of the harvest started to come in, this part of the harvest then was offered to the Lord. They gave it to God and they said, God, you know what? These, these first grapes, these first, the first part of the corn, the first part of the harvest coming in, we give that to you because we understand it comes from you, God. All right? Okay. We understand that Jesus in his resurrection, come on, church, Paul calls the first fruits of from the dead, from re- the resurrection. Here's the next candlestick. And you're like, candlesticks? I thought we were talking about the rapture. Hold on. Here's the next one. This is called Shavat. Shavat is Passover all the way up to 40 days later, and this now is called Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, right, they understood that God's glory came in for the harvest. The completion of the harvest was now in. Now, they would celebrate this by giving God glory and having a feast. But in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down, and each and every one of the believers in the upper room had a tongue of fire appear above their head. This is interesting, because now we're not talking about candlesticks anymore. Now we're talking about God's people. And God's people are lighting up the world. You need to, you need to remember that. Okay, okay that's like, um, this is like, you remember Blue's Clues? You just got one. You just got a Blue's Clue, Okay. Because when we end up here with the lamps and the ten virgins, this ought, to be, this ought to be helping you. So how many of you know that we're past Passover? How many of you know we're past the burial of Christ? How many of you know we're also past the resurrection of Christ? How many of you know that we're past Pentecost? Then where are we, church? We're almost to the feast of... <laughs> Pretty good, wasn't it? Wasn't too bad. <laughs> There used to be a margarine commercial for that, you know. Never mind. Anyway, the Feast of Trumpets. This was called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means head. Hashanah, year. The first of the year for Jewish people. It was September 15th. Not January 1. September 15th. Now, here's what's interesting about the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets was a call to God's people 
Because God, if there was judgment to be made, is now about to make it. Isn't it interesting that I just quoted to you a scripture from the New Testament from 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that includes a shout and a trumpet. The Feast of Trumpets is what's next. After that, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This is the day when if man did not meet God's expectations, there was judgment. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, which represents the millennial reign. Now, that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot to take in. But let me tell you where we're at on his watch. We're past Pentecost. We're in the time of harvest. We still have time to reach people. The trumpet hasn't blown yet, but it's going to be. It's going to be. Does your brother, does your sister, does your dad, does your mom. Come on. Before you eat a spoonful of those baked beans that you know are going to be trouble for you later. Before you eat that second or third burger. Could you absolutely, positively, in love, share something about Jesus? You see, we come around these holidays, like the 4th of July, and we want people to remember how independence and the story of independence came. But the Jewish people had these feasts too. And for the Jewish people, they're still waiting for the Messiah. You and I know he's already come, and he's coming back. And somebody ought to tell somebody about him. Whew. What is the rapture? It's not the second coming. The second coming is not going to be Jesus as a lamb. It's going to be Jesus as a lion. And he's going to come in judgment. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's not, he didn't come the first way, first time the way they expected. He won't come the second time the way they expected. First time he rode in on a donkey. Next time he's coming on a white horse with an army with him. Things are going to be different, church, and people need to know it. Well, pastor, the word rapture is not in the Bible. That word is made up. Doesn't appear in the Bible. Neither do the words monotheism, one God, Trinity, three in one, incarnation, Jesus, like born in the flesh, inherency of Scripture, right? Meaning that Scripture has no error, okay? Or infallibility of Scripture means it can have no error, those words aren't in the Bible either, and yet they're implied throughout Scripture. There are seven raptures actually in the Bible that have happened before and will happen. Enoch was raptured. The Lord took him. Come on. Elijah, the Lord took him. The ascension of Jesus. Jesus was raptured up. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, I was caught up into the third heaven. John in the book of Revelation chapter 4 was caught up into the third heaven. The church will be raptured. The Bible says the two witnesses during the tribulation period will be raptured. Rapture, rapture, rapture. Rapture. That's old Blondie song. Don't, don't listen to it. Totally. Pastor, why would you believe such a thing? Why would you believe such a thing? <laughs> Somehow I get you back. First um, <laughs> Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. I have an appointment. Didn't I just give you the clock? I have an appointment with salvation, not wrath. God's wrath is coming to the earth. Zephaniah 2.3 Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, 
who have upheld his justness, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Psalm 83.3. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, O Lord, and consulted again, together against your sheltered ones. Song of Solomon 2.10. Beloved, he spoke to me and said, rise up. Maybe you can hear the, the rapture idea here. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. <laughs> For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear in the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs. Israel, come on. And the vines with tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. <laughs> All right. Where do we see this word in the New Testament? Of course, we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, where it says in a moment, in a twinkling of eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. But we also see it in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. It says, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Remember, he was witnessing to a guy, Ethiopian eunuch. And the guy wanted to know how to be baptized. By the way, stick around. That's happening at the end of this service today. Glory be to God. <laughs> yeah. And it says once, they, once Philip was done, it says that the Lord caught Philip away and he was no more. It didn't mean that he died. It meant that he instantly was gone. Now, somebody said that he went faster than the Flash. That superhero? Yeah, I mean faster than that. Probably. Probably. But I want to tell you, the same word there is used, that catching away, is used in this Jewish idea of marriage and the wedding festival. And I want to give you that today, and it's going to happen very, very quickly. If you have questions, you're going to have to email me or contact me, buy my lunch, and I'll explain it all to you. <laughs> kind of works that way. But you'll find it here, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read this quickly, and then I'm going to give you a breakdown of it here, okay? Matthew 25, verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. Now, I've got to stop there for just a second. Why ten? Why not seven? Shouldn't there be seven? Seven is completion. Seven is God's holiness. Seven is, is God's very, very best. Why ten? Why ten? Let me tell you why ten. Do you really want to know? Yes. I'm asking, do you really want to know? Yes. Okay. All right, well, let's see if you do really want to know. So, how many of you remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, there, were, there had to be at least 10? And God said, I won't, destroy, I won't destroy it if there's at least 10. Now, you need to be here at next Sunday and the following services because I'm going to be talking about some of the signs of Christ's coming. And one of the signs is a great apostasy in the church, a great falling away. There needed to be at least 10, and if there were 10, that preserved the city against God's wrath and judgment. Are you with me? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You preserve it. Salt is a preservative. You preserve it against what? All the bacteria and the wickedness and the darkness of the world? Yes, but even more so, and what should lead you to even greater seriousness, is that you preserve it against God's wrath. Now, God said there had to be 10, and if there were 10, that would be a witness in the earth of enough. 
right? So Jesus starts out the story by saying there's 10 bride, there's 10 bridesmaids. Did you know in the Old Testament for a covenant of a wedding to occur and it be legal, there had to be 10 witnesses. Hello. In order for a synagogue to have a service, there had to be 10 witnesses. Come on, church. Moses comes down from Sinai. And regardless of what funny movie you've seen, there weren't 15 commandments and one got thrown down by Mel Brooks. Come on. There were 10 commandments. And it was God's authority on earth and witness of what God was saying here on earth. There were 10 false gods in Egypt. And God sent, come on, 10 plagues to bring those God, those false idols, those false gods down. Solomon, when he constructed the temple, had 10 tables in the temple so that people could come around 10 spots and hear and learn the word of God. 10 represents God's truth and God's witness in the earth. If there isn't 10, it's over. Now, who knows what God, God's 10 is? Because I get to the New Testament and I see in the book of Revelation that when he comes back, it says his saints come with him tens of Salah. Pause. Right now, let me tell you why he delays. You're the reason. Your faith, your love in him, your cherishing of his word, your consecration of your life, you're the reason. Unfortunately, a falling away is coming. An apostasy is coming. A time like that has to come. Let me tell you why. Because if it didn't come, the Antichrist couldn't do what he's supposed to do. Are you hearing me? Because my Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If you contain the power of God and the spirit of the living God, and God takes that withholder that holds back the spirit of the Antichrist away, then the church has to go too. You see, right now you preserve the earth against God's wrath. Have you ever looked at your life? Have you ever thought of reconciliation that way? Have you ever thought about your intercessory living? You stand in the gap between God <laughs> judging the earth. Mm. I wonder if anybody gets it. Yes. This is why it's so important to continue preaching the true word of God. The true word of God. Not this watered-down Kool-Aid that's coming out of pulpits today. The true word of God. Do I have time or can I just go there? Can I just go there? We, listen, I drove, I drove all night and all, almost all the next day back from seeing my kids all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. You want to talk about a trip, man. Listen, I'm 52. Back when I was like in my 20s, I would do that kind of crazy stuff. When you're 52, you need to stop a lot. A lot. I don't know who's with me, but you'll get it, kids. It's on the way. Life is going to change. All right? And here's what I noticed on the way home. I noticed signs. If I'm, if I, there must have been 30 or 40 cops on the way home. There weren't any on the way there but I'm trying to get home. And suddenly, here comes the popo. Popo everywhere. I'm trying to get home. 
You don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, everybody obeys the speed limit in here. I know, I know you good Christians, but I still need to repent of some things. So all the way home, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to avoid the popo and, you know, so there's signs like, here's the speed limit, right? You break that sign and you get a speeding ticket. Come on. And then there are other signs like, you know, here's your exit. In fact, the GPS is screaming at you. Take the exit. And then it goes off into Greek, you big goober. Right now. And if you don't obey that sign, then you mess up your time. You're going to end up on a highway for about another 20 minutes till you get another exit. Then you got to turn all the way back around. But listen, speed limits and missing your exit has nothing on getting onto an exit the wrong direction. I didn't do that. You're laughing because you think I did. Listen, by that, when it gets to that point, Sarah's driving. Because I want to live. Right? And I know my limits. A guy's got to know his limits and I know mine. But if you disobey that sign, you're going to die. And somebody else is too. You're going to be hurt. What needs to be preached today are the signs of this word and the signs of the time that are stated in this word. And they need to be preached with a, a warning. Nobody wants to talk about the sin and the judgment of God. But the judgment of God is simply this. If you continue in sin, a wrathful God is going to judge you and you will go to hell. That's it. And listen, that's a good way to preach. And here's what we left out of the gospel. We've left out of the gospel this little itty bitty thing that says his way. Because today it's your way. Your way. But that way is wrong. And that way is going to end up in a crash. And there is damage from that. And it doesn't mean we have to browbeat people, but we do need to tell them that sign needs to be obeyed. And it's a sign of God's word. And that's why there's 10. You're God's witness in the earth. You say, Pastor, you're running out of time. I say, yes, I know. Yes, I know. It says there's 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. The Greek word there is moron. No, seriously. Moronis. Moronis. Moron. Five of them were morons. Don't get mad at me. Don't say, hey, PC culture. It's in the Bible. Five of them were morons. <laughs> five were Sophia's uh, wise. Okay? The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Extra oil. At midnight, they were aroused by what? Hello, a shout. When it was the darkest part of the night, when it's the darkest in the world, when it gets the bleakest, here comes a shout from heaven. Didn't Jesus say, when you see these things all begin to happen, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It says, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those 
who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. That's a seven day. By the way, the earth will go through seven years of tribulation while we're having a seven day. And the door, watch this. They went into him with the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Um, nosco is the Greek word for know there. That means an intimate knowledge. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I know your name. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know their name or know of them. He's saying, I do not have an intimate relationship with you. You weren't ready. You were my bride, but you weren't ready. So you too must keep watch, the Lord says, for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. This all begins with a proposal. The proposal is done by the bridegroom. You know, because we've talked about this before, but I'll go through it very briefly. He offers a cup of red wine to his bride. If she accepts, she drinks. Jesus did this in the upper room. We see in Matthew 26, 28, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The bride price or the dowry, some of you kids don't know what a dowry is. That was a little before my time too, but you actually paid for, well, you pay the rest of your life, boys and girls. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. hey, it is what it is. Some of you want to leave me up here. Just, I mean, some of you guys are looking at me like, you know, like, yeah, just you're by yourself, pastor. Go on. But uh, yeah, you paid for, you paid a dowry. You paid for the bride, the bride uh, price. And it says um, there would be no wedding then if the bride did not accept, right? She had to accept by drinking the wine too. And so then the bridegroom would go away and he would do his preparations and the bride would go away and do her preparations. Now I've done lots of weddings. And if you've ever, um, if you've ever seen women get together and prepare for a wedding, there's all of the stuff that happens months before the wedding. And then there's the wedding day. And I'm nowhere near any of that. I just, I love, I, I love it. I think it's great, but I, I just think, I, I don't understand a thing anybody's saying. I, I don't understand any of it, but there's a lot of preparation, right? And the idea here is, is you're not supposed to see the bride and the bride's not supposed to see the, the bridegroom before the wedding. We think, well, where's all these customs come from? Where, where does all this, you know, come out of? Well, see, Jewish weddings were held this way. You see, the bridegroom would go and he would prepare what's called the chupa, all right? And that was a room that was made on the father's house so that the bride would have her own place, okay? And so while the bridegroom is going to prepare the chupa, the bride would then prepare herself. And she went through all these beauty treats, all that stuff I don't understand. You know, tried on 30,000 shoes and, you know, sampled all kinds of cake and then didn't eat for three weeks. You know, all that stuff, Okay. <laughs> I'm joking, but some of you are ready to throw a tomato. But it's just, you know, there's a lot that goes on there. Anyway, while the bridegroom is away, he's not to see her or talk to her. But a messenger goes back and forth. This is usually about two days. Hello. A messenger goes back and forth. And the messenger says, well, the bridegroom says this to the bride. And the bride says, well... Oh, that's, that's, oh, he loves me. He still loves me. Okay, well, tell the bridegroom this. And the messenger would go back and forth for two days. By the way, I don't want to embarrass him, but 41 years ago, 42 years ago, this couple right here 
got married in this church, and today is their wedding anniversary. Awesome. So this messenger that would go back and forth would make sure that there was communication. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. (laughs) A little goose bump back here. And in the meantime, I'm going to make sure that there's communication. Right? I'm going to make sure that you're able to talk to me. And I'm able to talk to you. And I'm going to do it through my spirit. Woo! (laughs) And as the chupa is being prepared, the bridegroom doesn't know when he gets to come back, because that's up to the father. The father tells the bridegroom when the troop is done. So the father sits back and goes, okay, son, build that extra addition onto my house. And I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to make sure that it all lines up the way I want it to. Because, hey, the house belongs to dad. Come on, church. And I mean, this ain't China, but if all my kids were moving to be back in with me, I want to be able to decide what things look like. Okay, yeah. So anyway, dad figures that out. When dad says, son, you've done a wonderful job. You're done. Then the son turns around and he gets to go get his bride. And this is the reason why Jesus told the disciples, no man knows the day or the hour, but my father in heaven. He's the one that knows because he's the one that decides when all of this is finished. Can I just tell you for 2,000 years, two days, Jesus has been in heaven preparing a place for you. Now, (laughs) wow. So the whole universe was created in six, man. Think about this. He's been up in heaven for 2,000 years. You ain't gonna be, it ain't a bunch of raggedy bunk beds. It ain't furniture from Ikea. (sighs) This is gonna be awesome. You're his bride. He's in love with you. Have you, uh, guys, can I speak to the guys for a minute? Have you ever been like, I love her. I just love her. You do anything, right? You do anything. You can't wait to be with her. Well, that's how he feels about you. And he wants to make sure everything's perfect. And his dad decides. (laughs) Here's the interesting thing. When he gets to come back, he comes back with a few friends. And they have these trumpets. Well, they're shofars. Now, I didn't bring one to... Because every time... It, it makes a sound that's a little repulsive when I blow a shofar. It's not a sound you want to hear in church, okay? But, but, it, but they blow these... They're ram's horns, all right? And the interesting part about the ram's horns, they have to use ram's horns for the Feast of Trumpets because at the end of the horn, it does a 180. Repentance. All right? It's a turnaround. And so when they blow on it, they blow on them really loud. And in the middle of the night, they came at the darkness of the night. They'd blow them really loud and they'd start shouting. And wake everybody up. And here we go. And then he would catch up his bride. Where do we get this carry over the threshold stuff? He would snatch up, he'd catch up his bride, rapture, right? And carry her over the threshold, Right? Into the chupa. Now, none of you guys go home tonight and say, hey, baby, let's go to the chupa. (laughs) 
Never mind. <laughs> Back to the notes. Uh, so, <laughs> whatever, man. I'm just having fun, but I love Jesus, okay? So, carrier, carrier, carrier in, and here, here she is. And now they'd have a wedding feast, and it would be seven days of, 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 of a feast, man. And, and celebrate this momentous thing. And then we get to, to, to Revelation chapter 19, 7. And it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Jesus, in order to get the disciples to understand the gravity of how this would all work, gave them a parable, a story about a wedding so that they'd understand the elements of the wedding would describe the elements of our relationship with Him and His return for us. What are the two words? Prepare and prepare. God is preparing for you. Are you preparing for Him? Are you prepared for Him? Can I just, can I just leave you with this thought? I want to talk about the five morons. Seriously. <laughs> The foolish virgins, okay? They were virgins. They weren't lost. All ten should have been a representation of the Lord in the earth. There weren't ten. There were five. Five is the number of grace. We'll preach that another, another service. But there weren't ten. There were five. So God says, time to judge. There were five that should have been a witness and weren't. All ten were virgins. All ten had lamps. All ten fell asleep. Before you go going, hey man, that message this morning was pretty good. I guess I check out all right. Rest of y'all though, I don't know. You know, jury's out on you. Every one of the ten fell asleep. But they were all virgins. They were all ready for the wedding. You might say they were all believers. And yet only five of them were living for and in light of the return of the bridegroom. What made the difference? Oh, you're not hearing me. You want a way out of this, I know. It's like, man, get, give me some room, Pastor. i got to get out of this. Something, you know, get me out of this. The difference was the oil. Some had extra. And some did not. The ones that had extra fell asleep. Yeah, they sinned. Yeah, they messed up. Yeah, they blew it. But they still had extra oil. Oil is the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and then being filled some more and then being filled some more. Can I tell you about the lamps? The lamps weren't, these weren't cute little lamps that you put inside your house so you can read. These were the kind of lamps that you put at the end of broomsticks and you walk down the street with them. Yep. Hello? Yep. So that you could light up the darkness of the... Yep. They had enough oil for them. They didn't have any oil for anybody else. And when the bridegroom came back, 
give us your oil. And the people said, we can't. The other five, the wise ones said, we can't. You can't give anybody your spirit. You can't. Only he can give. And all, they, they've got to get it from him. You can't get, you're not, oh, let me give you what I have. You can't give anybody else what you have. you got to get it from, they got to get it from God too. That's right. But they didn't. They didn't have enough. And when the shout came and the trumpet was blown, they weren't ready. And they were left behind. Now, you got your interpretation of that? You're entitled to it. This is America. Okay? But for the 33 and a half years I've been pastoring, I got one interpretation of that text, and that is this. I have to be ready. That's it. And you better too. And if you're living your life just a little, man, God, can I sin, can I, can I sin a little, a little sinny? Can I just step in the pool a little bit and dip my toe in the world some? The cost of that is not just your, your reputation of righteousness. The cost of that is oil. The cost of that is the presence of the living God that resides within you to overflowing. Every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament coming on a believer, it's always more than enough. Out of your belly so flow wells of living water. Why? Because the world is a desert. And people are thirsty. And so I don't want just enough God for me. I don't want just enough of the presence of God to make it through a Sunday and make it through a service. I don't want just enough presence of God that I might be able to make it into heaven with my britches smoking. I need enough presence of God in my life to lead every single person that I come into contact with to Christ. To be a witness. To not curse the darkness, but light it up with God's love, God's truth. Let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? You can be. You can be. I know you fell asleep. Some of you during this sermon. It's okay. It's a, it, 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 God's got grace for that. But you've got to ask for it. You've got to ask for the oil. You've got to be filled. Would, would, you pray, would you pray with me right now? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we know that you're coming back soon and you're coming back for your bride. You're going to catch us away. But Lord, I just sense that even in my life, there have been some moments here recently where I've fallen asleep. But I thank you, God, that it's not my performance. It's not the payment that I can give. I thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, paid the full price on the cross for me. And then he gave me his spirit, God. And I can have as much of his spirit that I want. And I want more. Give me extra, God, for others, to care for others, not to judge them, but God, to love them. Not to point out their brokenness, but to pray for their healing. Not to condemn them, but to give them hope not to cast them away, but to pull them in and love them and make them family. Do a work in us, God, as we are preservatives in the earth. We know that, God, the earth deserves judgment, for the wickedness is great. 
and the hour is dark. But God, we say, here am I. Fill me with your spirit again. Would you ask the Lord to do that this morning? God, fill me with your Holy Spirit once again.